Welcome back to week four of our study in parenting. So over these last three weeks, we focused much of our attention on reorienting the conversation around parenting from practical how-tos to a biblical foundation for parenting. So in other words, we've given you some practical suggestions along the way, but we began week one by discussing the importance of our paradigm for parenting being reoriented to, the, to overflow out of our dependence on God and his word. So then week two, we shifted our attention to think about the hope of parenting, the hope of parenting being the gospel itself, the good news that God and his love through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, his son, is saving sinners from their sin and is setting them apart for his own glory. And then last week, we sought to center our discussion around the motivation for parenting, and that being the glory of God and not the glory of self. In other words, in our parenting and with all the hours we spend with our children, our singular aim as we think about motivation ought to be to help to see, help them to see that God is supremely better, supremely more beautiful than anything else in all of creation. And then to want them to live their lives in service for him and for his own glory. And while that is our motivation in parenting, it also is our own aim that we would live our lives for the glory of God and not for the glory of self. This morning, our ambition is to center our time around the affection of parenting. The affection of parenting is love, but not love as the world defines it, but love as God demonstrates it to us faithfully, consistently, lavishly, patiently, full of grace, unmerited, and unending. You know, it was May of 2003, after what must have been my wife's 500th jalapeno cheddar burger of that pregnancy, it was the Lord's time for our oldest child to be born. And it was a long and painful labor, but something amazing happened as I saw my son being born. You see, I understood in that moment more than any other time in my life how amazing God's love for me is in Christ. So I had never seen my son. He had never done anything for me, I'd never met him. There were no 3D ultrasounds to my knowledge at that time, or at least they weren't available to youth pastors. But I, I had this love for my, my oldest that I had, couldn't explain. I didn't understand because in all my other relationships, something had happened where I had, you know, we had, there was a reciprocal nature of the relationship or, you know, they were my, my dad or, or my, my brother or, or friends. But in that moment, I couldn't explain that I felt like I would have done anything to protect my own son, and yet I didn't even know him. And yet as I watched my oldest son born into this world and was reflecting on the amazing grace of God, who sacrificed his own sin, or his own son for my sin, my heart leapt in worship that God, rich in love, gave his son as a sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could and would ever be able to satisfy the wrath of God for sin, and he did that for me, that I might have life and have it abundantly, that I might worship him and point others to him, and all that because of God's love. So in that moment, as Cooper, our oldest, is, is being born, and you have this undescribable love that you can't 
uh, you can't explain or understand. It was that crescendo of recognizing that that love I have for my son, God loved his son supremely more and sacrificed him on my behalf. All for love's sake. So the affection of our parenting is to be love, but we must stay tethered to the reality that we know how to love because God first loved us. So I would say that our love has a source and a target. So the source of our love is that it overflows to all the relationship we have is that God himself is that source, that unending fountain of perfect love. So God is the source of our love. And then the target of our love for the purpose of our conversation this morning is our children. The goal of our love in parenting is that it would result in the glory of God being known to our children and in them setting their lives on a collision course to live all their days for his glory and not their own and not our own. So what I want us to do this morning is we're going to look at three key components this morning as we dive into the affection of our parenting. And first, we must understand the love God has for us. And just as it was last week, there are many places we could turn in the Bible to start thinking about God's love for us or God's love in general. In fact, the Old Testament and New Testaments are dripping with love for God, uh, for, with God's love for his people. But for our time this morning, I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians. So if you would go ahead and turn over to the book of Ephesians as we consider our first point together. Paul wrote this letter to the saints at Ephesus. So Paul's writing to the the bride of Christ, the church at Ephesus. And listen how he opens his letter to them in verses one to three. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So he says in his address to the saints, so we know that this is being written to the church. He offers them uh, greeting by way of saying grace to you, peace from God our Father, that we have a, a common Father, regardless whether we're members of the same church, we are all children of the same God. And then in verse 3 he says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It's from this foundation I want us to be reminded there under point one, letter A, that God's love is eternal. So look with me again, in, or look with me now at verses four through six. So I'll start at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So when, when did God's love extend to those who were his? Well, the scriptures tell us that it, it that began before the foundations of the world. So I want us to let that sink in this morning, that before the existence of the world, before the existence of all that we know, God, who knows no beginning, was. And in that, in himself, in love, he chose us in him that we should be holy 
and blameless before him. And not only is that an amazing reality, that is a shaping reality that helps us to understand that God's love for us is infinite. It is from before the foundations of the world. So it is infinite eternity past and it is infinite eternity future. So it's one thing that we may know this love for God, but do we often enough meditate on it? Do we let it sink in that before the foundations of the world, before anything was created, God existed, and in that existence, he chose those who would be to the praise of his own glory. So God's love for us is set in his very character. It knows no beginning, and it has no end. God's love for us is eternal. But not only is God's love for us eternal, it is also abundant. Look at verses 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through, this, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So again, we see the eternality of his love with a causal statement. Um, sorry, we get, sorry, I'm getting down ahead of myself. That's verse 12. Uh, so a continuation of this eternal love that God has for us, we see in verse 9, that the love through spiritual blessing, namely that we've been adopted into a family we didn't deserve, and we've been given full access to the riches of the Father. It's not trickled down on us. We don't have to elbow our way in line for it. We don't have to jump over one another like a pack of puppies trying to nurse on their mother. No, it's lavished upon us. It's poured out in abundant are the spiritual blessings of God on those whom he loves, on those that he chose before the foundations of the world, and is keeping us in that love for all eternity. So God's love is lavished or poured out in abundance on us. The third, I want us to see that God's love is transformational, meaning it does not find us today as it did when we first understood. No, it changes us into who we are, and it changes us in what we care about. So it's transformational. Look there at verses 11 and 12. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all, thing according, all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of of his glory. So again, we see the eternality is love there with that causal statement in verse 12, that we might be to the praise of his glory. Look there with me. So that we might be the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So be to, the, to, to be to the praise of his glory is transformational language. It takes us from what we once were to what he's making us to be. So when you first understood the gospel, you had to reconcile that you, as a sinner, were separated from a holy God. And the only way that you would be made right to this holy God was through belief and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born and tempted in every way that we're tempted, and yet in perfect obedience to the Father, lived a perfect life. He died a death on our behalf. He rose from, from death 
conquering sin and death, and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, thereby making a way for sin to be paid for and for sinners to be reconciled. It's that reality, that transformation that we all have to reconcile in our own minds when we move from unbelief to belief. So the gospel always meets us in a hopeless state, but it doesn't leave us there. That God's love doesn't leave us in our hopelessness. We are changed and then given a new nature. Or as we talked about just a little bit, we, we are given a full inheritance to all that the, the king has, all that our father has. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So every day, as we seek the Lord, as we submit to his headship, as we embrace his love for us in Christ, as we pursue him to be more beautiful, more glorious, more precious, and better than all the finest of this world has to offer, we are being transformed by the spirit of the living God. In fact, this is what Christ promised the spirit would do in John 14, 25 through 27. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I wonder this morning if you would consider what regularly pulls at this transformational process in your life. Where are you most often dragged back into the muck of who you once were? Or where do you even dabble with your former passions? And then consider how might reflecting on God's love for you in Christ reorient your affections this morning? How might considering God's immeasurable, unending love for you reorient your affections this morning. Then fourth there under letter D, I want us to see that God's love is forever. We started here with the eternality of God's love being from before the foundations of the earth and the culminating in the, in the unending access to the, uh, to the Father in heaven, resulting in the continual praise of his glorious name. So look with me at verse 13, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So verse 13, if you are one that underlines or highlights, I would underline and highlight were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Think about what it means to seal something. It's the final closure with certainty, right? On all of those Amazon packages that come to your house, 
And when you get something and you have to return it, it gives you a checklist of what you do, and it says, you know, put the return slip in there, make sure that the original packaging is in there, make sure it's, you know, it's all packaged in a box and, and then sealed right before you take it back to the, the post office. It is the final closure with certainty. Or maybe a, a negative example, but hopefully bringing home the positive point. It's like running through the airport to connect that connect, to catch that connecting flight and you don't have enough time and your bags are too big and the gate's too far and the tram's not running. But you run all the way to your gate and your plane, thankfully, is sitting right there on the tarmac. But then you get to that gate agent and they tell you those dreaded words. I'm so sorry. The plane has already sealed its doors. We have a lovely Motel 6 for you. Eight miles in the snow. So I realize it's a negative example to make a positive point. But those who are in Christ are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? They are, they are kept with certainty by the Holy Spirit. But then notice what the Spirit does in verse 14. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit, if you were an underliner or highlighter, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So praise God for the great love with which he loves us. The eternal love of God the Father, he has lavished it on you and me. He chose us before the foundations of the world and, that, and then we are being kept by the Spirit as a guarantee, our inheritance, until we finally take hold of it and see God face to face. This is God's love for you in Christ. Therefore, as a primary focus is parenting, I want us to reflect on the love of, of God the Father and encourage us to reflect on that, to meditate on that love, and then just to let it overflow in worship. It's what I described in the introduction, having seen uh, Cooper, our oldest, for the, for the first time and having an overwhelming love for somebody that I'd never met. Two, I want us to, uh, to consider that we would draw from this love regularly through daily communing with the Lord, right? Seek the Lord in prayer, fellowship with other Christians as we're doing this morning. Talk about this love with your children, Remember that even in your failures, God's love is not fickle like ours. He is keeping you in his love forever. Remember in your failures that there is only one who has ever walked or will ever walk this earth who is perfect. And that person is your Lord. He is Jesus Christ, that you can trust him that you can draw regularly and often from the unending wellspring of his love for you. So let me take just a moment there and let's pause and let's uh, see if there are any questions or comments about God's understanding God's love for us.
Yeah, that's a good question. So Brandon asked, just as we think about the, the Holy Spirit being the seal and guarantee of our inheritance, how do we have confidence uh, that we have that we are in Christ and therefore that we have the Spirit? Yeah, I think, um, obviously, I think there are a multitude of ways. One, I think, uh, again, I hate to use a negative example, but I, I find that it's helpful whenever uh, I have conviction over sin and I realize that I am at odds with the Father because I've chosen what doesn't glorify Him. And that conviction, I believe, is the Spirit's work uh, drawing me back to Him. Similarly, I think it's that moment, prayerfully, what we're getting to, really, as we think about parenting, is instilling in our children the ability to compare the glory of God and see it as more glorious than whatever else we're pursuing. It, that, that moment that we think to ourselves, and we'll get to this in a bit, uh, is this action, are these words, does this, um, yeah, does this even as a family posture, does this promote the glory of God or the glory of self? So that, that, um, that conviction, that prompting, that leading, um, I think, you know, others that can, that you, when you allow others to speak into your life, right? And, and how you're molded and shaped by what you're reading and studying in the Word together, what you're uh, receiving correction from others is, I think, the Spirit's work in your life because I think in our natural state, we, we are not interested, right? I mean, we could go to the Proverbs and look at the, you know, the fool's rejection of, of wisdom and correction. So those would be a couple of ways I would, I would want us to lean into that. Good question. Any other questions or comments in this section? All right. Well, as we're reminded of God's love for us, having meditated on it daily and drawing from it, we must learn to love as God loves us. So we talked about the transform transformational nature of God's love uh, for us. Let's look now at the new commandment that Christ gave us or gave to his disciples in John 14, 34 and 35. Sorry, let me flip there. So this will be under learning to love as God's love, letter B in your outline. We see there in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this new commandment that, that Christ gives to his disciples to love one another as he has loved them, and by that love, that love that mirrors what he demonstrated to them, others will know that they are in him. So love one another just as I have loved you. And praise God, we have an example, right? This is where uh, oftentimes in my own parenting, having come from a broken home where my dad wasn't in in the house, as I became a parent, it was easy for me at times in, in the quietness of my own heart to go, well, I don't know. I, I didn't have that modeled for me. Like my dad wasn't here. And so it was a, an excuse for me to be, uh, you know, passive sometimes, or it was just an excuse for me not to trust the Lord. And rather than lean in and do what God's word said, I would just go, oh, I'm not sure. And so being unsure led to inactivity. Well, praise God, we don't have to do that, right? This is where the Lord convicts and says, well, it's okay that you didn't have 
a father in the home, you have a perfect heavenly father who's demonstrated his love for you perfectly. And you have the example of Christ Jesus who has demonstrated his love for you perfectly. Lean into that example, right? And it's going to be far superior than even the best, heaven, the best earthly father. And yet, praise God for faithful earthly fathers, right? So love just as I have loved you. So this love we have for one another will be part of what marks us off from the world, showing that we're his disciples. Love one another that's modeled after God's love for us. So I want us to turn over then to 1 John, where we'll spend most of our time, uh, most of our remaining time. 1 John chapter 1. I want us to see uh, how we can learn to love as God loves and how that's rooted in a new reality, a new obedience with new allegiances. So first, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, a new reality. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So this perfect love of God that has saved us is transforming us in our present and for our future. So the gospel rooted in God's love changes our reality. The scriptures tell us that we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And again, with certainty, it says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So everyone who has this hope, it says, is to purify himself. Now, this purification is not the result of our own labors because we don't have the ability to purify ourselves any more so than we have the ability to save ourselves. But the aim is that we would pursue the purity of Christ in this new reality that we have, that being we would be uh, that we've been saved and set apart to live for his own glory and not our own. And just a reminder, guys, this is one of the things that happens every minute of every day as we pursue the thoughts, actions, and disciplines that exalt God and don't promote self. So our new reality, even as we sojourn in this place, that's not our home, is that we have a new nature with new affections and a new obedience to a new king. And this king owns at all. This king is perfect love. This king has secured final victory. This king has made us his children. This is our new reality that we are no longer who we once were and that our allegiances are no longer to ourselves but to God. So look with me at a new obedience in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God sees, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So as we previously discussed, when we learn to love as God loves, our obedience flows rightly from understanding God's love, and therefore we learn to want what he wants, to love what he loves, to pursue what he pursues. So friends, if you find yourself agreeing with these truths and yet struggling to walk in them this morning, let me encourage you to pray. Pray that God would reveal what's keeping you from living this way. Let me encourage you to seek counsel from another, to pray with others. Go back to the gospel itself rooted in God's love that we started with and ask yourself as you encounter the daily tasks of life, does this action, do these words, does this thought point others to my obedience to Christ or my obedience of self? Ask yourself before you act or speak or do, does this reflect the reality that Jesus is better than? It's what we talked about in that introductory comments. Learning to ask ourselves, does this reflect the glory of God and does this demonstrate to myself and to others that Jesus is better than whatever my thought is, whatever my potential action is, whatever my words are. And just like children, remember that obedience is a war of two wills. The will of self that wants to be the ruler of our own life and the will of God, our Father, who wants for his children to know and to fear him. This war of two wills will not finally give way until we see Jesus face to face. And so the battle rages. It rages in you and it rages in me. And my encouragement is for us to acknowledge that it exists and then to regularly submit ourselves to the care and love of the Father who has called us out of death and into glorious light. Then I want us to see that we have a new allegiance. A new allegiance, a new obedience. And then in verses uh, 7 through 21, we'll see a new allegiance. I want us to read just 7 through 13 in chapter 4, sorry. Chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. We're going to focus in on 7 to 13. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, sorry, anyone who is not loved does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, so also ought we, 
so also ought to love, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he gives us his spirit. So verses 7 to 13 capture the battle in the human heart with a simple if-then statement. Simple in that it's plain, difficult in that is the daily battle of sanctification that we live each day. That our new allegiances are not oriented any longer towards self, but towards God, who is the unending fountain of love. And this love should overflow from us and spill onto all that we touch, not clumsily, but because our cup runneth over from God. He has lavished his love on us and he continues to do so. Therefore, we go to the gospel in our parenting. We remember that you as a child of God are loved and as a result are to love God. As God loves you, you're to love others. We evaluate our obedience. We gut check our allegiances. We walk in the new reality afresh through time in the word as of first importance. We do what we talked about just a minute ago in Brandon's question. We give others license to speak into our life. We ask for it. We receive it. We pray. We learn to love as God loves us by emulating Christ Jesus. Again, this is, we talked last week uh, where Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As we turn our attention then to our final point there, expressing love for our children. A couple of years ago at the men's retreat, our brother Ed Moore encouraged the men of UBC to use expressive words with obnoxious frequency to communicate love. So I want us to turn to that final point, expressing love for our children. And there in point one, I want us to see that our words are to be a mirror of his word. That our words are to be a mirror of his words. In other words, we're to know what to say and how to say it because we've immersed ourselves in God's word and it is what comes out of us. Use expressive words with obnoxious frequency to communicate love. So as God's ambassador in your own home, your words and your actions are constantly communicating something to your children, something about your obedience, your allegiance, where your life is pointing. Is it to your glory or to his? They're constantly forming views about God based on what they see and what they hear from you. And this can and probably should be a terrifying reality when we consider our words and our actions. However, you're not going at it alone, right? We've, we've talked about the promised Holy Spirit who is the seal and the guarantee of our inheritance, who is the helper, the one who is making plain all things that Christ told his disciples. It's that spirit that is working in you. So as we express love to our children in words, I think our brother Ed is helping us see in part what it means to be the recipients of God's love, that love that has been lavished upon us. So I want us to consider and challenge us 
that our words should be a mirror of God's words. In other words, the words we choose to communicate ought to reflect the kinds of words that God speaks over us and points us to the sure foundation of his word. Let's look then at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what I found. Oh. <laughs> Co-teacher Siri. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when the perfect one comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So I wonder, just as we think about our words, does this begin to describe your love in words? Are you more like a noisy gong or a clashing cymbal than you are the sweet aroma of Christ? Even as we thought last week in 2 Corinthians 2.16, set your heart to know God's word, to speak God's word, to take counsel from God's word and to communicate it as best you can with God's help, the love you have for your children that mirrors God's love for you, recognizing that you are given a responsibility for a little while, right? Any of you that have, have launched children out of the home, there's that stark reminder that you are but stewarding this gift God has given you. And there's a day that comes when they, Lord willing, will leave your home. And I say Lord willing because I think that's what God has ordered naturally, right? And they will then be living in this world prayerfully as ambassadors for Christ, doing better than what you did, but because you've laid a firm foundation. But because they have been pointed to Christ, they've been prayed over, they've been counseled, they've been raised in the fellowship of the church, they understand the gospel, they're walking by faith, they will launch out. So remember that as you're thinking about your words of instruction, the counsel that you give, the way that you're doing the very things that love calls us to here in 1 Corinthians 13, remember as you're doing those things, you are but a steward 
of the gift God has given you for a little while and how you steward that gift in part will shape what they do with the gift of faith that they now have to pass on to the next generation and to the next generation until the Lord returns. So tell them that you love them and connect that love to the love that God has for you in Christ. Remind them in discipline that God loves his children. In fact, he loves them so much that he disciplines them, that the purpose is not pain, but worship. Reorienting the heart to the creator. So when they make mistakes, remind them that you too make mistakes and remind them that Christ, though without error, has been tempted in every way that they're tempted. And that means that he can sympathize with their weaknesses. He can sympathize with their struggles. He can sympathize with their temptations. And yet, he didn't give in to those temptations. He overcame them. And then, through faith, he gave us the spirit that allows us to overcome those temptations. Greater is he that is in you that is in the world. So just as our words ought to be a mirror to God's words, so too our deeds or our actions a reflection of Christ's actions. So look with me there at letter B. Our deeds a reflection of his deeds. We're going to look at first, uh, first John chapter 3. If you would flip back over there. First John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Our deeds are a reflection of his deeds. And again, there's, there are a lot of places we could go. Beginning in verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And again, recognize that I realize this particular passage is, is a letter written to the church. And as we think about parenting children in our home, they don't come to us as Christians, and therefore it's not a one-to-one -one application. However, I think as Christians, this is the model that we're to emulate as the church, right? We are to, to lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life. We see that in marriage. We see that in our deferring to one another, in love for one another. So Christ laid down his life for those that he loves. Christ's love was rooted in the love of the Father. Christ saw people, really saw them. He met their needs, and he pointed them to real life with him. This is where, in our parenting, as we're thinking about the, the actions of our children and our own actions, there is this wonderful reminder that we know what our children's deepest needs are. They need Christ. Right? So, of course, they pursue what they pursue in their sin because they don't know the Lord. So, they're, they're pursuing what rules their heart. And we're seeking through prayer and instruction and time with them and demonstration to reorient their heart towards the gospel and to the God who loves them, who created them, and who we trust has set them apart for his glory and his timing. And so we pray. But remember, Christ was ruled not by his emotions. Rather, he was constrained by his love. 
this love that flows from the unending fountain of his very nature. So therefore, we ask forgiveness when we wrong our children and we connect it to the gospel. Friends, don't fear telling your kids you're sorry. Don't fear going to them in humility and tell them you blew it and tell them why you blew it and telling them that you've asked for forgiveness from the Lord and you're asking their forgiveness because you've wronged them. Don't be one that doesn't know how to ask for forgiveness before your children. It will teach them that it's okay to make mistakes, that you aren't perfect, but there is one who is. As we think about our deeds, a reflection of his deeds, a mirror to his deeds. This does not mean that we do everything for our children. We learn by making mistakes. So give them guardrails. Pray. Pray for them. Pray with them. And know that they, like you, will make mistakes. Be there to pick them up, to dust them off, to reorient them to the love of God and ground them in the gospel. Help them see the errors that they've made. But not because you're shaming them, but because you're understanding that we all make mistakes. And growth can happen from mistakes. Resist the temptation to keep your kids from doing, or resist the temptation to do everything for your kids. So it, it's a silly example, but I can remember when our kids were younger, we would go to, to the park and play, and the, the mother in Tamara would want to protect them from everything. Uh, don't run too fast, be careful on the slide, don't forget to tie your shoe. And I can remember being at Wilson Park one time, and you know, I'm sure our kids were running up the wrong direction of the slide and much traffic. Um, and Tamara was like, hey, be careful. And I was like, hey, listen, just they're going, to, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to fall. There are going to be consequences. They're going to be okay. So it's okay to let them, to give them some room, right? It's not that we don't love them. It wasn't that I was saying, hey, listen, I don't love them, so you let them do whatever they want. Go play in the street. Um, no, because we love them, we recognize that we, can't, we cannot protect them from everything. Everything that this life, we can't do everything for them. In fact, I would argue that doing everything for them actually stunts their growth, right? When we do everything for them, we haven't actually stewarded them very well so that they know how to do anything for themselves. And that can extend to how you think about allowances and how you think about discipline and how you think about chores and how you think about work and how you think about um, uh, dishes and how you think about uh, scholarships. It, it could extend a long way. Remember, give them guardrails, pray for them, pray with them, be there to pick them up, dust them off, and reorient them to the love of God and ground them in the gospel. And then remember that our motivation for parenting is not our reputation or glory, but the glory of our great God. So let the affection of our parenting flow from the love of God and let us point each other and our children to the glory of God in Christ, that they would see him as more beautiful, more lovely, more praiseworthy, more excellent, better than anything that this world has to offer. So before we turn to those practical suggestions on that last point, any questions or comments about those last two sections?
disclaimer, we are going to get to, you know, items like, well, you can see there, turnover on the back of your, of your guide. You'll see all the topics we're going to get to. Um, we, we will get to things like discipline, um, worldview. So there's a lot we're going to cover. So some of, some of the practical things that I'm giving along the way or we're giving along the way, uh, we are going to have the opportunity to tease out over a number of weeks. Brandon. You bet. So I think um, Brandon's question is really getting to the nature of the practical ways in which within the home it becomes a labor to love your children well. So, and then maybe just a point of clarification, that war that I was talking about, hopefully, now I will say like parenting is hard, right? And it's hard work, but uh, outside of being known by Christ, there's no greater joy than being a parent. I mean, and being married to my wife. Like I love all of those things. Um, and so I don't, I don't think of it as war to parent, uh, but I think what I was trying to communicate that the war is the, the pull of the two natures, the establishment of my kingdom versus the living for God's kingdom. Now that plays itself out in parenting. And also I'll say maybe a couple of examples. I think, um, yeah, so this is where, uh, I don't remember if it was the heart of the Kings or if it was matters of the heart. I think it was matters of the heart that John Henderson taught where he reminded us that nothing comes out of you that isn't already in you. And so I want to be real careful not to blame shift and say, yeah, it's hard when you're tired. Um, it is hard when you're tired, but nothing comes out of me that isn't already in me. And so it's a good reminder that when that stuff comes out of me, uh, that stuff being anger or uh, quick, quick temper or uh, harsh words, um, then, then there, it's a good reminder that God is still in the midst of working on me and that I need to lean into that very love and that I need to recognize, I need to recognize and own my own sin in pursuing forgiveness for my children and before my wife. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I would say probably the, maybe the biggest regret I have from parenting younger kids is those seasons where I, where I responded in anger before I really thought to ground myself in the gospel. Um, and so, you know, you see an immediate action and there's a difference between you know, protecting your child from harm's way and doing something in haste versus them breaking a rule or, you know, um, imposing on your kingdom authority and you responding in anger rather than taking the time to pray and to think, okay, they're a sinner and I'm about to respond as one um, rather than, hey, they're a sinner, therefore this is a natural trajectory that they're going to take God has given me the responsibility to steward the gospel in this home. And therefore, the next thing that comes out of my mouth ought to be tethered to that hope that I have, that I recognize that they are a sinner, that I'm saved by grace, and that they're in process, right? And so taking that time. And, you know, uh, I didn't do that well early on. And so I think I learned to apologize early on because you, you recognize that you just, it's easy to blow it as a parent. And yet, I will say, like, if you, if you have kids... <clears throat> not only being there when they're born is an amazing grace of God to understand something about God's love for them, th their ability to forget your mistakes uh, is remarkable, right? So you can, you can send a kid to bed and, you know, they've, they've come out of their room for the, you know, 64th time and you've, you've taken whatever, whatever measures you wanted. Um, in our house, we spanked. And so you go to bed and you're heavy with that. You're like, oh, and then the next morning, you know, they either come around the corner or down the stairs, and all they want to do is jump in your arms and tell you that they love you, and they want, to, they want affection and hugs. And you think, like, did, you know, you're still sort of frustrated about the night before. 
it's all gone for them, right? Um, and so, or you pray it's not all gone, but the part that you didn't like is gone. Um, and so God's grace extends even in the ways in which they show grace to you in the mistakes that you make as a parent. So those are a couple of things I can think of. Any other questions as we conclude our time? Mason. Yep. Yeah, so Mason's question really is about, you know, when you have, when you have more than one child and you love them and they love you, and, but you're wanting to see them tangibly love one another, just demonstrate, have genuine love for one another. And, and I think, you know, Tamara, so this is where Tamara and I are great. We're a great team is I remember most only the good stuff and she remembers the stuff that actually happened. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think what we sought to do as, as parents of young children is we talked about what it means to love each other. We talked about opportunities to serve one another. We had them serve one another. Um, you know, whether it be, Hey, you know, Cooper, you're, you're setting the table tonight for everybody. Uh, and Jackson, you're, you're picking up all the dishes and this is, and, and we connected to service and the reason that that's important in, in the sort of family economy, you know, for us, we, we put our boys together in the same room from the time that they were old enough to sleep in a bed. Uh, because part of what we were trying to instill in them is we, we were trying to foster a friendship between them that would transcend them living in our home. But we were also reinforcing that all the stuff that we have isn't mine. Like, these, this is not Cooper's room. Like, this is Cooper and Jack's room. This is boy's room. Like, these toys, even though they were given to so-and-so, like, these are our toys. They're in our room, in our closet, with, you know, in our house. And so we sought really to, to undergird that reality of, like, not possessiveness, but really shared things. Um, and now, you know, of course, that, that's imperfect, right? There are things that actually were one or the others of theirs. Um, and then as far as love goes, I think brother, what I'd say is just be, be consistent and pray and trust the Lord. Like we, we've been so encouraged and I'm sure this is not normative for everybody. So I want to be careful there, but God has been very faithful for our kids to, as they've aged, they, they have, they run in the same friend groups. They love one another. They annoy one another, but at the end of the day, like they really do have one another's backs. And so, um, yeah, it's been really sweet to watch, but I don't have a, like a, a perfect, hey, do this, and it results in that. But I would say just talk about it a lot. Uh, instruct them what it means to love one another. Instruct them what it means to be loved by God, and therefore that love overflows into others. And help point out, you know, we, so I'll say last thing in correction, it, sometimes it's easy for me to say one of the kids or to point out to them, hey, think about the way you just responded to your sibling. And if that had been your best friend and all you, or your other friend so-and-so, would you have responded the same way? Because the reality is like we, we extend the least amount of grace sometimes to those that are in our home. Um, and we extend the most amount of grace to people that we go, oh, well, they didn't mean that. Uh, rather, we we've, we've think that our kids have got some vendetta against us and them against one another. Uh, and so just finding opportunities to, and then we just talk about it. Like, hey, my prayer for you guys is that you all will be best friends the rest of your life. So who's going to host Thanksgiving? And then we'll joke around, hey, which one of you is going to take care of me when I'm old? And then they all look at Kate and they're like, I don't know, you're sorry. And she's like, well, I guess it's me. Uh, so we just talk about it. We have lots of fun with it. Um, and it is hard and it is discouraging at times. But so that's why I say at the end of the day, just undergird it in prayer, be consistent, trust the Lord and give it time. Yeah. We have time for maybe one more question, comment, or maybe any other uh, parent whose kids are older want to give any counsel to Mason on friendship amongst siblings?
You don't have to. You can catch him offline, but yeah. Yeah, it's just a good reminder um, that at the end of the day, I think, you know, going back to this, to two things John said over the last couple of years, one, that nothing comes out of you that isn't already in you. And then two, I think it was week one of this class, orienting us around our paradigm shifting to say, hey, at the end of the day, your problem with parenting and with marriage and with life itself is your inability to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And, and if really, if we'll start there and think, okay, like, how am I, how am I going to set out today to do that, to walk in that, to, to, to bend, you know, to not even bend my will, to break my will to the will of the Father such that what happens is I'm obedient to God today, then day by day we'll put together faithful parenting, right? Um, but, you know, we want a quick and easy fix to say, no, I, I'm a Christian and therefore everything comes out of me should be wonderful. Um, and yet it's not. Uh, so, yeah, good, good reminders. Yeah, let me, um, let me pray to close our time. And just remember, guys, we're building a foundation. We're going to build on it every week. Uh, and Lord willing, uh, as we continue to get to discuss and talk, uh, we will we'll together have a better grasp of what it means to, uh, to, to faithfully parent our children uh, in, in, in our homes and then in the, in the uh, context of the local church. Let me pray for us. God, we are humbled that you give us stewardship over children in our homes. We're humbled that you use us uh, to be um, ambassadors for your, your namesake and your glory and your gospel. And so, God, we pray that we would be faithful unto you, Father, that all that we do would flow out of a right understanding of your love for us in Christ and that you have not been stingy or selfish with it, but, Father, you have lavished it on us. You've poured it out in abundance. And, Lord, that that love is culminating in our seeing you face to face and so, Father, we pray that we would trust the spirit that resides in us to lead and guide us, that we would be open to correction. Father, that we would be humble and ask forgiveness. Lord, that we would recognize the gift and privilege it is and therefore worship you that you have allowed us to be parents. And God, that we would, uh, yeah, we'd be good stewards of the gospel. We pray now, Father, as we transition from this time onto our corporate gathering, Father, we pray that you would help us to sing and pray and listen and observe as the redeemed body of Christ Jesus and that all that we do would be for your glory. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.